Developed from the popular cartoon series Spy vs. Spy is Mad Magazine's first official computer game. To Nostalgia, chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. Guys, is it wrong to call this a computer game? Well, Mike, this was actually a game for the Commodore 64 before it came to the Nintendo Entertainment System. And that's true, and you know I know that because I always have the sequels and spinoff section towards the end of the show. But I guess what I mean is, is I'm just reading the back of the NES boxes. So do you think they just got lazy and didn't change what they were talking about when they put it on the back of the NES? I think if you want to get like really technical, you can say it's a computer game. Like it's like something like my grandparents would call an NES game, but like they're not wrong. I mean, the NES is a computer technically. So like, I feel like, yeah, they're not wrong, but they probably also were just like, didn't change the, (laughs) the description from the from the other version. Yeah, and Nintendo doesn't refer to it as a computer, the NES. They refer to it as the control deck. So this is Mad Magazine's first official control deck game. <laughs> is that is that how we're going to go about it? I, th- I think that we were only we only saw control deck referenced in one manual, right? Yeah, you know, uh control deck that I don't know. Uh I feel like I have seen that elsewhere, but yeah, it's it's strictly a technical term and it's not going to go anywhere. Anyway, this whole conversation has been silly. And you know what else is silly? Mad spy magazine. Spy. Oh. <laughs> uh, did Come you guys, on, guys. ever you guys read... Didn't read Mad Magazine? Yeah, I I never read it. I I never read it. So, Sean, how about you? <laughs> I think I had uh I, you know, I'd get them at the library uh because they had a really uh, a, a really big old magazine section, um, and and they were fun. They were just like you know little satirical things, mostly uh, uh, you know insensitive humor about a lot of things that probably wouldn't fly now. But apparently, it's still running. So I'd like to take a look at a more recent copy. <laughs> yeah, you know what's interesting is like I looked at just the issue that Spy vs. Spy premiered in just to see, like, oh, what is what is a mad magazine and what is Spy vs. Spy in a cartoon format? And what was weird about that particular issue was, one, it was very political because it happened to be the uh, election issue for John F. Kennedy and Nixon. So I thought that was interesting. But then, like, it also had this thing where if you read it one way, it acts as if Richard Nixon won the election, but if you read it backwards, John F. Kennedy won the election. Well, they were they were clever like that. I I always I, I I always thought that they had some really funny like gimmicks in in their uh, in their magazines, and they never really dropped the political part. Like I remember uh, seeing one about the two thousand election, so that yeah, that that's just sort of their bag. I guess I didn't realize that it was that long running. I, I didn't know it was it was you know from what the sixties. Yeah, I've only seen uh, I've only read copies from like the ninety like late nineties and early two thousands. So, but uh, yeah, I mean I, I'm looking at all the covers from across the history, and yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, even just to prove how little research I did for Mad, <laughs> uh, doesn't that kid have a name? The kid who's on every cover. 
Yeah, that's Alfred E. Newman. Why did I think it was like Howdy Doody? Because <laughs> it kind of looks like a Howdy Doody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, you, you see, I grew up with Nickelodeon magazine, and I feel like that's probably on some respect similar or like an offshoot of Mad Magazine. Like they, That's where they got their influence from. Because that whole thing was filled with mostly just gags and like games to play like crossword puzzles and other like pranks you can pull on your friends and stuff like that. So I imagine... <laughs> You know, I, I got the general gist of what it was like to grow up with Mad Magazine via Nick Magazine. Yeah, it's just you know, a much more uh, uh, youth-friendly version. Right. I, they, I remember I remember in Nickelodeon Magazine that they would have little sections that they had to designate as real. <laughs> Nickelodeon Magazine was the first time I actually found out that bedbugs were real. Like, I thought they were just pulling my leg with that don't let the bedbugs bite. <laughs> But then Nick yeah. Magazine did a whole special uh, like on it and like what bed bugs are and what they look like. And I was like, what are you kidding me? Like these things are real. <laughs> and I read that at a dentist uh, office. So that's where most people read their magazines. Right. Nobody actually gets these things delivered to their house. Yeah. I feel like if, it, you know, if I ever picked up a mad magazine, it, it would have been at a dentist or a doctor's office. I, I don't know if I, I never definitely well, never had that to my house. I, I can't say that about Mad Magazine, but I definitely got Nick Magazine delivered to my house, and I don't know why you're trying to shame me for it. I think that's just very bougie. Also, bougie. Mike, you sort of made it sound like you got Nick Magazine to your house. You said you used to read, <laughs> you used to go to the dentist like a lot. He went to the dentist a <laughs> like lot. Every week. He had cavities in every <laughs> molar. I had braces for six years. Uh, no cavities, but braces for six years will will give you a lot of visits to the dentist to read up on every issue of Nick Magazine. <laughs> Anyway, you guys want to talk about Spy vs. Spy? Yeah. But not the game? I'd like to talk about Spy vs. Spy, but not the game. Good, because I don't want to talk about the game just yet. I just feel like, you know, these characters are like D-level Looney Tunes characters that, like, you're just aware of their existence, but they were never quite funny, and they never really, like were in the mainstream, but you're just aware of their existence. Does wow, that feel right? with the disrespect. No, no I, I kind of feel the same way, though. I, I never, I never like, experienced a spy versus spy story. And, you know, I kind of feel the same way. These remind me of any character in the Pink Panther cartoons that's not the Pink Panther are, give me the oh, same kind of feeling. Yeah. Like, there's, like, the bad, bad guy that, like, I see, and I'm like, who is that guy again? And these guys, I'm like, yeah, I've always seen these guys around, but I never really uh, experienced the story. This is my first Spy vs. Spy story I've experienced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pink Panther I always found boring, but, you know, Spy vs. Spy, like, the the only reason that it's associated with, with like, we've talked about Mad Magazine is because Spy vs. Spy ran a Mad Magazine. I don't know if we've clarified that yet. <laughs> That's important. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, but no, I mean they're like one page, and they're they're quick, and they're self-contained, and they usually have some cartoonish gore and violence. So I always found them funny. Like uh, you know, some of the, the the gags that they had were good. I, mean, I can't say that every single one was great, but I'm also not the authority on spy versus spy i thought that was our whole thing is that we're not the authority on anything like we know so little about everything that that makes us qualified to talk about it that's true well for me spy versus spy is kind of like wild e coyote and roadrunner except for it's like two wild e coyotes but with roadrunner brains <laughs> like does that make sense like yeah that kind of makes sense uh you know and so that that could be amusing i just never found it to be that's too bad 
anyway, it's time we talk about the game because uh, it's a, it's a little different and it's a uh, it's a little hard to describe. So I'm going to start off talking about what I think an overview of this game is, and then you guys will tell me how this game really is. Sound fair? Sounds, Sounds great. great. All right. So in my opinion, the object of the game, you got to collect like various items throughout the uh you're in like this base let's say you know and it's a bunch of different rooms and you're going through uh the dressers and the closets and all that to try to find things and you might find like a briefcase or a key or a bomb uh and meanwhile uh the other spy let's say you're the white spy then the black spy uh is also in real time as you going throughout these same rooms and looking for clues and also setting up traps the idea is is that before um, before the opposing player finds the key and the briefcase, and I think there's maybe one other thing they need, but before they find those objects and escape the room, you have to escape the room by doing those same things faster. Uh, I think that's about as much as I have, except for that there's also like a time limit and that the yeah. size of the buildings are dependent on the difficulty you're playing on. What do you guys think? Yeah, I can. I'll. I think that was pretty accurate. I'd like to expound on it a little bit here, though. Uh, that one thing that I, I thought was interesting is that the game encourages you because it's a split screen the whole time. So you, whether you're playing another another real person or you're playing the computer, you can see the other character, and the game encourages you to like screen peek. Like you're supposed to watch the other character to see where they're planting traps, and then yeah, you're trying to get these these four essential items and the briefcase to carry them in before the other guy gets them. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting thing. First of all, that it's, it's really the first, like, is it the first split screen game we've played? I want to say yes. And then as an early split screen game, it's, it's like, it's not even, uh, it doesn't even have the idea of like, well, you're not supposed to look at the other player's screen. It's just like, nope, they're both on the screen. Part of the game is watching the other player. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like also to clarify that there's only one of each of the items that you need that like, yeah, there's a briefcase, there's, uh, there's a bag of money, there's, uh, like a document and one other thing, I think a key. Yeah. And you have to get, there's only one of each. You have to gather all of them before you can leave. So it encourages you to, uh, either, uh, spring a trap on the other spy or to just beat them up <laughs> uh, if you find yourselves in the same room uh, to take to take the stuff so that you can get out. So and and yeah, like that that whole split screen thing uh, really adds like especially if you're playing with another person, because I don't really know how the AI takes into account whether it sees you planting a trap or not. Um, but it's it's a really unique uh, it's got a lot of unique gameplay mechanics in this thing. You know, I think we should talk about that simul play a little more because, you know, this is something we haven't seen in any of the NES games so far. And it's probably, you know, still an interesting feature today to see in, a, in an NES game where the things that you do on the screen affect the other computer and other player no matter where they are in the same building. You know, like Sean said, there's limited resources if you're in the same room, you have to fight. If you plant traps, you have to remember where those traps are planted for yourself, but also for the other spy if you watch them plant something. So there's a lot going on there, but how did you guys feel about the execution of that simul play? Uh, initially, I was, a little, I was a little frustrated because it did feel like some of... It did feel like 
some of where the traps are and stuff was a little luck based because like you you know you know that there's a trap in a room but you can't tell which piece of furniture it's in and you also know there's an item you need in there because your map has indicators on where the items you need are so you kind of just got to guess one but the more i played it the more i kind of got the hang of like trying to keep an eye on where the player at the bottom of the screen was planting his bombs remembering where things are and I kind of developed a strategy to like get to the essential items as quickly as possible before there was time to plant bombs. And I, so the more I played it, the more I realized that that's kind of part of the game. I mean, the part of the game is that it, it is going to be luck based unless you can split your attention and pay attention to the, to the character below. Yeah. Uh, and, and as I started to kind of get the hang of that, I started to like it a lot more. Yeah. Cause it really is. I mean, there are some bombs that are like pre-planted, I think, uh, throughout the levels. But if you're paying attention, nothing is luck-based besides that, uh, because you should be able to uh, play and watch at the same time. Um, I think it, like, some of the... But in terms of how, in, in execution, these uh, these elements come together, I think it's a, it's a much better idea on paper. Um, I, I, still, I still enjoyed it, but I think that it, it's, it sounds quite a bit more... Uh, engaging when it's described to you than when you're actually doing it, um, because like if there were if there was any more context to like, well, I should check behind this thing or I should look here because it makes sense in the game. Uh, what you're actually doing is you're just you're almost mindlessly, <coughs> excuse me, you're almost mindlessly ch- just checking everything. It, it, like it doesn't really matter uh, if if where you're looking is a place that you you would look. In that situation, it's just that, like, the, they, there are obviously things where documents or keys could be hidden. So, uh, it it does get a little uh, it does get a little repetitive after a while. But uh, the the dynamic, if you're playing with another person, I think that the dynamic would would be a lot more engaging. <laughs> uh, yeah, if that I, makes any sense. I imagined just due to the state of the world right now, none of us were able to play with another person. Um, but, yes. but I was the whole time kind of thinking that this would be, that would be the ideal way to play it. There were even sometimes, there was one time where, you know, my strategy was to kind of collect every, collect everything, set them down in places I would remember until I found the suitcase, go grab everything, you know, whatever. I had everything in the suitcase except for one last item. And then I ran into the other spy and he starts chasing me. And in my head, yeah. I'm like, oh, he's chasing me because he knows I have all three of the four items. And now he's going to let me do all the work, kill me because I had low health. And then, yeah. you know, and, I, and that was kind of really exciting. And I was finding the thing. He was running after me. I was running through the rooms. And then he just sort of like stopped chasing me because the, mm. you know, NES, AI, whatever is, is only so good. <laughs> but then I was thinking if I were playing against another human, our strategies would be totally different. I mean, I would have the option to just watch the other person, let them collect everything while I go look for weapons. And, and then, then once yeah, they have like, everything, go kill them. You know, like there's different just strategies. Just wait in different the door. Well, wait in the room that has the exit door. Exactly. <laughs> well, I yeah. think that em. that's like a, you know, the weird thing here is that they chose, and I get that this is probably in context of the how the spies fight each other in the comic or whatever, but that they both chose the role of escaping the room, where I feel like a better game would have been you know, the white spy is determined on, like, getting out to the airport, and then the the black spy's job is to try to make sure that they don't escape. It's kind of weird that they both have the same objective. I, I don't well, know, that, though, because then it becomes, like, kind of, like, asymmetric in a way that I, I don't know that it's... 
I don't know, I kind of like the quality of it of just like you're both trying to escape with the items. So then there's no there's like a balance in the gameplay. Yeah, you're speaking like a true uh like spy versus spy amateur right now, Mike. <laughs> like you you just don't understand the deep lore and how it should be. It has to be it has to be symmetric because they lose and win e- equally throughout throughout the the series. Yes, and I think more importantly too, it's it it would it wouldn't help that much in the simul play world. I I guess I imagine a different game where like one spy sets up all the traps while the other person's in another room, and then it's up to the other. You know, then you switch controllers or whatever, and now it's that person's job to try to escape that room with all the traps that were previously planted. I don't know if that could work in real time, but uh, I will take Joe's point of that. You know, it's a little more uh, less. It's not asymmetrical uh, to use Joe's words. It's not asymmetrical if both of them have the same objective. I just felt like. To go back to a point Sean was making a long time ago, the fact that pretty much whenever you enter any room, the the objects could be hidden in any particular thing that you just have to like mindlessly check through things. And you kind of have to have like this game of memorization with yourself of what was planted where by the other person. So this way I don't check those things, but I do grab these things. But to be clear, though, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I just want to be clear that it's not it's not whenever you enter any, you know, yes, when you enter a room that has an essential item in it, then it becomes like a little bit of a guessing game. But there's only like two or three things per room, if that. But but on your map, you still it still does tell you where all the essential things are. So you can kind of make a route to go there and just try and keep an eye on if if your opponent gets there. Then you just yeah. you only have to watch where they plant things if they're in and one of the true. rooms. That's true. So so like a lot of the other stuff is like a, a distraction. Yeah, it's probably just something I didn't understand about the game to begin with because I I was not referring myself to the map knowing that those things were telling me that. These are where the essential items are. So I was going into every room just kind of searching for whatever was next. Yeah, well, it, t- it actually took me a bit to kind of figure that out, too. This game takes some time to, like, really get your head around. But once you do, I think it's it, it's a lot more fun. Yeah, and I think a lot of the issues that can come uh, into play when playing this game is that, like, you, you understand the concepts, but the way that they are executed uh, are, are kind of strange because... This game is actually taking advantage, or is actually getting a little too ambitious with the amount of input uh, that it can take from the player. Whereas, if you want to check that map that Joe's talking about, you have to press like the B button five times, and like, a lot, a lot of things are just unintuitive like that. Like in the in the same in the same vein, like another negative is that in order to check your map you will inadvertently hide all of the stuff that you're holding in some container in that room and if you're not if you're not aware that that's a mechanic then you'll just end up like missing everything and not knowing what, what where it went you know you know what i mean yeah and another another issue i have with that element of like in order to check your map you have to drop whatever you're holding and it becomes hidden in something in that room is that if i'm trying to check the room i'm in to see if there's an essential item by checking the map, I'm putting the item that was in yeah. my hand in the room, so I still don't know if there's another essential item in there. So you have to go like put the item in a different room somewhere else, come back into yes. this room, and then check. Which which is a little... I don't know why they couldn't have just made the select button to check your map, <laughs> and then you wouldn't have to <laughs> exactly. use the same button that is to change the item you're holding you know, in order to check your map. This might change if you don't... If you do have the briefcase... 
But before you have the briefcase, it, when you enter combat with a, with the other spy, if you guys happen to ha- be in the same room, something else also happens to your item, too. Is it the same thing where the item just gets randomly placed in the room again? Yeah, and then it's up to the winner to, like, find it in that room. So, like, then I guess the winner just gets to, like, kind of loot whatever you were holding. And whatever may, whatever else may be in the room when you get there. Right. Got it. But, like, does the briefcase protect you from losing all of your items in a combat fight? Or No. I, no, no, I think then okay. you just lose them all in the briefcase, and then the other spy can get them all. So, the risk versus reward. Yes. The, well, the, the only use for the briefcase is it gives you the ability to hold more than one item. Because otherwise, if you find an item uh, and you're already holding one, you'll just be swapping it. Um, so you do need the briefcase, like, uh, until you get the briefcase, you have to be playing that game of, like, well, I'm gonna hide this here so I know where it is and hope that either a player didn't see me put it here, and all that sort of fun stuff. Yeah, and that's an element I actually also kind of really liked, of, like, especially we get into some of the later levels where the maps are a lot more complicated, where you have to, like... I put things in a in an order that you'll remember them or that you think you'll be able to get them all quickly. So then once you find the briefcase, you can get back to them all quickly and, and find them. So you have to really, really think about, like, well, where's the other guy on the map? Uh, how you know? Can I set traps to stop him from getting to this room? You can maybe block a door or something. And then yeah. will I have time to find the briefcase and get back to my items? It, it, there was just a, I was surprised at just how much there is to think about while while playing this. I saw the game at, in on one particular website described as a trap em up, and I think that's hysterical. But <laughs> j- just that idea of setting the traps too is something we haven't talked about yet. What did you guys think about you know both the the traps that you set and the methods of like disarming those traps if you want to get around them? Uh, was that I mean like I think it's actually enough for one time. I'm actually satisfied. I wouldn't be like, oh, well, you need more options because games can be silly. It's like, I think this is the perfect amount of traps to have set and that the fact that a lot of the things that you get disarmed are just available to you within these uh, bases is really cool. I I agree. I think um, it's a little bit of a stretch, but what this game kind of reminded me of is, uh, actually, it's a lot of bit of of a stretch. Uh, but the more recent game, Rainbow Six Siege, there is an entire uh, like segment of of the match when you're playing where you're just supposed to like fortify, and that can include setting traps. Uh, and then the rest of the match is sort of uh, based around uh, getting getting around the traps that are set and uh, uh, kind of changing your game plan depending on how that was done. And while this is all happening at the same time in in uh, Spy vs Spy, it still does uh, it, it still does have that uh, amount of like you are you are literally changing the game environment as you're playing, and that affects more than just you. Uh, so I I really enjoy the like, like this game could still operate if it's just like find the things and don't let the other guy find the things, but the fact that you get to set these traps and 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 change the environment in that way. Uh, really does add to it. Yeah, I, I agree. And this is another thing that I think I would have, I would have appreciated even more in multiplayer because I actually I used the traps a lot, but I pretty much just used the bombs because I figured with the AI, it, it didn't really make too much of a difference what I planted. I could put a bomb up. You can put a bomb anywhere, 
So, except for a door. So I would just put bombs everywhere. It was the easiest one to access and whatnot. But there is something to the, the like, there's the bucket of water that you can only put in a door, and there's the time bomb that you can put anywhere that has a different effect that I think yeah. would be more useful to use against another, like, human brain rather than just the, yeah. the simple AI. I mean, um, you can block off an entire section of the map if you just put w- buckets of water in places. <laughs> right, right. And then I started using the... Uh, you know the 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 disarming buckets of water. Just whenever I knew that there was an essential item and probably a trap in the same room, I would just have one of those buckets of water in case it was a bomb, which I felt like it was most likely to be a bomb if if there was any trap. So that helped me kind of like with my guessing. I would at least have a protection yeah. against the most common trap. Joe, you had me curious, so I, I kind of looked into the AI for Spy vs Spy just to see how they programmed the computer to play. And while this is by no means definitive, it seems like that the, uh, you know, the computer spy is less concerned on fighting you whenever possible and would, would rather try to collect the items if, if, as efficiently as possible and leave without ever making contact with you. If it does come into contact with you, it will fight, but that it actually tries to avoid fighting and, and just kind of clean up as fast as it can. Yeah, they're, they're kind of too. It's kind of like when you're playing against a computer. There's a completely different uh, meta game going on. Like when you're playing against another person, you're probably going to be equally be trying to trap each other and maybe trying to get into direct engagement. But um, the the fact that it's it's trying to get items so that you will have to go and find it. Um, uh, like it's it's more acting like you're gonna have to come and get me sort of thing. Like I think that that's like a completely different kind of way to play the game. Yeah, it's it's interesting how the, the all the different elements kind of come together and give you a lot of options of how to approach it. And, and I didn't know that about the AI, but that that probably would make me think differently about the way I'm approaching it. But but just for example, when I when I started playing the game, my strategy was to trap or kill the the opponent as many times as I could because every time your opponent dies they get 30 seconds taken off of their clock and once their clock runs out you just have like free reign you can just run around the map yourself and collect everything that was my initial strategy and after a while that strategy kind of evolved to instead of setting traps and hunting the guy down at the beginning just once I kind of like learned to use the map just kind of finding where the essential items are as quickly as possible before he could set any traps so like yeah and, and I think those are just those are like two ends of the spectrum of like of a number of different strategies you could use, which is just I don't know, just keeps impressing me that this this simple game kind of ended up just organically having so much depth. Well, that probably has to do with just the number of you know options available to you. You know, we were talking about the traps and the fact that there are traps to set, ways to disarm them, four different items to collect, and you know, there's this hand on combat too. I think, and also the number of rooms, you know, because that increases as you scale up the difficulty too, to the fact that I think when you get up to a certain high difficulty, it adds like another floor, right? Yes. So Uh, I think third level. Yeah, having like options for that kind of stuff is is really cool. And, you know, just like kind of creates permutations of what's available to you. So in a way, uh, I highly (coughs) doubt that playing this game once, (coughs) even with the AI computer, would you would play it the same way the next time. Yeah, definitely. No, yeah, and, and something to mention about the maps and the, and the second floor and everything, too, is that 
you see the map and it's just a shape, you know, a shape on the screen, but there's not doors in every direction. So you might think, oh, I've got to go three rooms to the right. But once you get two rooms to the right, you got a dead end, you got to go around in some, so you have to also sort of memorize the door layouts. And there are even some times where the second story, you climb up your ladder to get to the second floor and there's there's only three rooms there. And you look at your map and there's eight rooms. Turns out there's another ladder somewhere you have to find on the first floor. Yeah. So there's like, it's a little bit of a labyrinth too. And I think it it does make it, uh, it, it is done in a much better way uh, than, um, uh, was it was it the Towers game, the Deadly Towers, where there was a huge labyrinth of square rooms? Um, and, and because these are smaller maps, it's, it's much more digestible. But I think that they also do a better job of differentiating where you are on the map in a, in a much more useful uh, map layout as well. I think that just has to also do with the fact that Deadly Towers had like possibly as large of a grid as like 10 by 10 which is yeah. very easy to get lost in, and especially when everything looks the same. I think, you know, to your point, though, they did, you know, I'm not saying they made sense of, like, the architecture of a base or something, but, like, no, you know, no. the fact that it isn't just four doors on every single side for every single room helps, yeah. too, to, like, establish uh, a sense of place in where you yeah. are. Like, this is the purple TV room, and uh, maybe there's another TV room, but it may be a different color, and there may be a different piece of furniture in there as well, so... Yeah, the uh, use of very distinctly different colored rooms really helped me to, to figure out, like, okay, that guy's in the, you know, in the white room with a with a shelf in the corner, but, like, made it a lot easier for me to remember where some bombs were placed and stuff. Yeah. Which you've got to believe is just good playtesting, that, like, at some point there weren't different colored rooms and somebody, you know, maybe the creator just complained about, like, I can't tell where I'm going in any of this. It all feels the same, you know? I I think that's the difference between a game like this and and Deadly Towers is that Deadly Towers' color palette was... Also, I think at that point, like, you know, we're really beating over the head how bad of a game Deadly Towers (laughs) was. Like, you know, it it was awful. So there's so much more... It's not... Yeah, exactly. It's not just... Bad level design. I mean, a uh, bad temple design, though. That was just like a game that had a lot already terrible going for it, so it wasn't surprising. I think in Spy vs. Spy, it would actually be a bigger letdown if the rooms weren't established differently. Like if every room kind of looked the same, but like, oh, this one, the closet's a little over to the right, or you know, like that wouldn't sell as well. So I'm no. glad that they took the t- time to make them look different. And I do think that uh, <clears throat> once every thirty to forty episodes, we just need to remind everybody how bad that that game is. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm glad we we stuck that in here. You know, we didn't talk about combat yet, and that was kind of something that I really didn't like because, especially knowing how like the trap situation works, I was a little surprised to find that it's just kind of you versus the other spy in like a a police baton brutality face off. So, I mean, yeah, there's very little depth to the combat itself, but what I think it's actually doing, uh, and I may be giving too much credit to the game, is, like, yeah, you're just button mashing, but because you can't, like, clip through, uh, you you can't clip through the other person, and and because it takes so many hits when you're unarmed uh, to to kill the other uh, person, it's, it's sort of like you have a little bit of time to make that decision of whether you think you can, you can take care of this and just, just kill him right here and there. Or if you want to flee and think of a, of a different way to uh, dispatch your foe. Uh, 
So, I mean, the the combat itself isn't very fun, but I think the, the, the way that it's designed uh, allows you to make different decisions of, of, of how you want to go about it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with this. And actually, I think, Mike, you kind of said something about this earlier, about it being like a risk versus reward thing. Like, there were a lot of times yes. where I'm just trying to make my opponent's timer run out quicker so i'm like oh i'm gonna fight him and maybe i have a weapon and he doesn't so i'm like okay this is gonna be easy but then there are some times where i have some essential items and i run in and yeah you have that split second to like okay do i fight him how's my health how his how's his health and like sometimes you would both just go your separate ways it was just like this like weird standoff where it's like yeah, yeah. neither of us find it worth it to fight each other so we go your separate ways sometimes you get chased sometimes you do the chasing it, it was I thought, yeah, like you said, it's not not the combat itself that's good, but it's what the combat means for like your strategy and the rest of the game. And and this is me being a little picky here, but it, in a wish list scenario, you would hope that if you enter the same room, it almost like the screen view changes to become like one giant screen where maybe you know the animation is a little more detailed or something, and you have more. You know, it's not the same restrictions and layout as the rest of the game. It's this unique scenario where you're both now registered in the same room. And I'm thinking like, you know, because we just played Racket Attack, that switch between serving and the <laughs> yes. rest of the game. You know, it's like you kind of hope that like it would just make that jump to open up a few more opportunities. Uh, not that you guys haven't sold me on your argument for why the combat being simple is fine. Uh, I just think like that was a moment for something a little extra in the in the cartoony department too, you know, like sure. combat is such a cartoony thing that you. I, I guess like maybe there is something slapstick about just two spies beating each other over the head, like popping each other. Maybe that is funny, but I would have expected something else. Yeah, I, I do think that, and I don't know if I'd ever if I'd make this argument in any other context, uh, but. If you make the combat in this game too good, you're undercutting everything else. Like, if that were the case and you're playing with another person and you thought that the combat was more fun than this cat and mouse thing that you're doing, it, you would just you just rush at each other and kind of ignore trapping and ignore everything else. I, I think that uh, if you made the combat too good, it, wouldn't, it would be a completely different game. I think that's a great point. I want to mention something interesting about the about the combat though. The it's not a complaint or a praise. It's just it's just weird that uh, you know if you're if you're playing on the top half of the screen and your opponent's on the bottom half, when you end up in the same room together, one of you will move to their screen. Yes, like you won't both be, but the room won't be displayed on both sides of the screen. It'll just whoever was in the room first will stay on their side of the screen. And if I'm on the top of the screen and I go into a room that you're in, I'll appear on the bottom screen and there'll be nobody in the top screen for a second. I thought that was interesting. And I don't know if that was a technical limitation or if, if that was a creative decision. I, but. I, I think it's, I think it's sort of, and I, and I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think it's also supposed to just hide, uh, what your inventory is. Like you kind of have the jump on this person so you can see what he has. Um, but he doesn't see how like what what key items you have, and I don't know why that that only is a thing when you're in the same room fighting. But I, there there was some reason in the manual. I just yeah. don't remember. If but it, you can't. You wouldn't sense. be able to see what item they have because as soon as you end up in the same room together, all of your items vanish and go in, and get hidden into one of the rooms. Right. True. 
That's but true. you you got to imagine that it's more likely a technical limitation because to to draw uh you know the the same two characters that you're controlling as mirror inputs you know at, at the same time so like having four of your total characters of things that aren't like pre-render uh, not rendered but like pre-background stuff that's just fixed locations like to actually have input command that stuff i feel like if that I, was the case, it would slow down the game dramatically to have that. Many. I don't know. I, I mean, like, but when you're in different rooms, there, there's there's more. Uh, there there are more unique sprites on the screen, and the, the, it's it's handling input just fine. And we've played games that have more going on on the screen when there's only one uh, one field to, to to take care of. So yeah. I, I just I guess I can't really see it. Being a technical issue, but there there had to be a reason. I'm not well, I'm not talking about that. sprite limit though either. I'm not talking about like the amount of sprites. I guess what I'm saying is is like to mirror the input movements that you do across both screens for both players at the same time. It just feels like you know that, that that's some very cutting edge NES technology. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think I kind of to. agree with you, Mike. Even if it's not like a technical limitation that they couldn't have done, maybe they just thought it wasn't worth. Making you know, yeah, both screens have to have to accept inputs from both players at the same time. Maybe they just decided, like, well, it's just easier to do it this way. I guess so. Yeah, this is you know, this is a popular uh, trend now for like the last five years. But this felt like an early escape the room style thing. Joe, you do a lot of those escape the rooms, and you can tell me why this isn't an escape the room. But in a way, it kind of is, right? I mean, I guess it literally is, and, and it and it has maybe the feel of it where it feels puzzly. It's never really like a puzzle, uh, you know. It's more <laughs> of just like uh, I mean, I guess I guess it is a puzzle in like the in the actual definition of what a puzzle would be, but it's not the same kind of puzzle. Um, but uh, yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's like a very basic version of it where it's all about memorization and you know strategy, and you're literally escaping a room. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I think it's. It's a much but more the, the, basic. The, this, the strategy isn't like, oh, you're going to solve the puzzles to get these items. It's just get these items, and the only uh, the only antagonist to that is the other person. If the antagonist was the room itself, maybe. But. Yeah, I guess it's more just that like you have to come up with a way of thinking. It, it's just a cognitive way that you have to escape a room. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not, it's, it's not the same. <laughs> So Sean mentioned very early on in the episode that this was originally on the Commodore 64. It was on a bunch of computers, actually. I guess like that was the move for a game like this at the time. But that was back in 1984. Uh, so Chemco didn't bring this game to any kind of console until the Famicom in 86. But we finally get it now in 88. And even though we've never heard of Chem- Chemco before this, like they haven't released any other NES games... It's probably not a coincidence that people, companies in general, are just jumping on porting these older games all in this, like, one year of 1988. This has to be a result of the NES as a as a console just selling well in America and now everybody rushing to port older games that are, you know, this way they don't have to program new games, just get those into the hands of players faster, right? I suppose so. Um uh, so, what, what, why do you think this is any any different than uh, any other game? I guess. No, I'm saying right now we're seeing a trend 
1988 of older games. Get, you know, we oh. constantly bring up like this game came out in 82. This game came out in 84. True, like, true. I'm and, sorry. You know, yeah, they don't all show their age, but it's like, you know, it's definitely not a coincidence at this point. This is definitely like a trend of the NES is now selling really well in 1988 and everybody just wants to get these older games ported over to the NES so this way they don't have to like invest the time to program new games. I mean, that's going to happen eventually, right? You're going to have to make new games. But for the time being, especially right now in this uh, area that we're in where we've seen games like Pac-Man and uh, Galaxian and stuff like that, where we've seen, not Galaxian, I always say Galaxian, but I'm talking about Xevious. I don't know why I do this. <laughs> this is every episode, I feel like, for like the last five episodes. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, it, yeah, and maybe it's a it's a very Nintendo thing because it's sort of what they've been doing with the Switch for the past three years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I think that's just that's just a sound strategy, though, too, right? I mean, people who bought it aren't aren't resistant to buying it again, and people who yeah. never bought it are probably going to buy it again, uh, buy yep. it now, you know, for the first time. I agree. So, uh, other sequels and spinoffs, though, that are interesting to note is that there are two other. Spy vs. Spy games in this series of Spy vs. Spy games. Uh, the second one being Spy vs. Spy 2, The Island Caper. And this one only <laughs> came to the Famicom, so it is possible to play it uh, on Nintendo hardware, just not the NES itself. And The Island Caper, as you can imagine, adds it to a tropical theme on a deserted island and adds a side-scrolling play area, so you're not just in a fixed room you, your screen actually scrolls from left to right and up and down as you navigate the island. Spies no longer start with a fixed number of traps, but must collect the raw materials to build them. Ooh, hmm. survival. <laughs> it makes sense, right? There's a crafting system. Yeah, so I actually found that interesting, right? A crafting system. Like, <laughs> you know, n- now it's like, this is one step away from being a Zelda game if the items break. You know, if the traps <laughs> break, it's a Zelda game now. Yep. So where do you go after the islands, though? Like, where do you set Spy vs. Spy 3 in? The moon. Um, oh, okay. There you go. The moon is always a great location, but this is not a fantasy game, so it would never be on the moon. I feel like Instead, some spies <laughs> go to the moon. No? Sp- I've seen yeah, Moonraker. Moon. Yeah, Moonraker. The James Bond. That's <laughs> yes, true. Uh, no, how about uh, the streets of New York? Streets of New York is a good one, too. Unfortunately, instead, it's Spy vs. Spy 3 Arctic Antics. Ah. All right, so now you're in the Arctic, and uh, same thing as Spy vs. Spy 2, except for now, the spies fight by throwing snowballs at each other, uh, (laughs) and, and the traps that they set and the snowballs that they throw decrease the body heat bar. Of the other spy. I was going to make a joke about body heat, but you're being serious. I'm being serious. Yep. A long long time before uh, Final Fantasy VII did it, there was a body (laughs) heat bar in Spy vs. Spy 3. That's Uh, great. There are new tools that include a saw to cut holes in the ice for a second player to fall into. That's very cartoonish. I like it. And uh, lost body heat can be restored by moving into a heated igloo. Ooh. I so like wait, the blue as heat. Does the body heat just act as a health bar, or does it actually just like is it act more like a timer? It feels like a timer, right? Because you're constantly losing body heat, and then there's all these other things that make it go even faster, like getting a snowball thrown at you or falling in the ice. Gotcha. So it's almost like it they they got rid of the mechanic of a timer and a health bar, and just said just combine the two. And that's the obviously it, it's always going to be body heat. I, I like it. It's great. Yeah. 
Uh, Spy vs. Spy 2005, which I thought was on the GameCube, but then I found this whole, like, reason it got canceled and stuff like that. But it did come out on the PlayStation 2. So there is a game, Spy vs. Spy, PlayStation 2. Finally, a story mode in a Spy vs. Spy game. <laughs> so that's all you really wanted to know about that one anyway, right? <laughs> As long as there's no, as long as there's no actual like dialogue, I'm okay with it. You know, that's a good question. I should look at the cutscenes. Uh, I'm sure there are cutscenes. <laughs> you know, one thing that we didn't talk about because it's not really a sequel and spinoff, but just where I actually now think of the spies more than anything is I associate them with Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. They had like a series of commercials throughout the entire like 2000s from 2000 to 2010 of like Mountain Dew commercials. Wow, I gotta look this up right now. Yeah, they were like fighting each other over the Mountain Dew. It was it was genius stuff, Sean. Very good. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember those, but that that's quite possibly like where my subconscious memory of these guys comes from. And, and you know, I, I'm sure there was room for a Mountain Dew sponsored Spy vs. Spy video game, but we never got it. Instead, we got Sneak King from uh, Burger King. <laughs> True. Oh, you know, I meant to ask, sorry, the, the Arctic Antics game, that did that come to the NES? It didn't. Uh, uh, so we won't be playing any of these on the NES, but I would encourage uh, people who are fans of this this one, because it's so different from other NES games, that you might not, we might not play another one like this, that if you like something like this, try to get the Spy vs. Spy 2 Famicom version, because I know like a lot of people nowadays don't play on original NES hardware, they play on those... I think they're called Fama Clones, this like series of um, you know spin-off consoles that you could buy on the cheap that work with HD TVs, and they allow you to play Famicom games. So that's a that's an easy way to play. I mean, you definitely probably don't have to know English. Definitely, probably <laughs> don't have to know Japanese. Is what I meant. Definitely, probably. Definitely, probably. Anyway, we're definitely probably about to do the essential games list. Well, I'm going to start with the least surprising uh, candidate, and that is Joe. Joe, you've been pretty <laughs> hype about this game, so keep the momentum going and tell us your vote. All right, so first, I, I, I've been very positive about it, so I want to just get a couple of the like little negatives out of the way here, where one is that some of the inputs uh, are kind of weird, strange decisions, um, and are definitely not like the ideal gameplay uh, inputs. And the other is that playing alone, it can get repetitive. I mean, eventually you're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Granted, there's a strategy to it. But I do think that even with that repetitiveness, it's it has a, a way of kind of keeping itself somewhat fresh. And playing with a second player, I think, would completely get rid of the feeling of repetitiveness. It would re- be repetitive in the same way that, like, checkers is repetitive. Where, yeah, you're, <laughs> it's just a competition. So it's, you know it's the same thing, but you're trying different things and you're trying to, you know, beat your opponent. Um, so for a while, while I was playing it, I was playing around with this, the, my patented golden play it idea. But, uh, the more I got into it, I honestly, this game got better and better as I played it. So I think I'm going to give it an essential vote. All right. And that's one. So it just needs one more. Sean, will you please give your essential vote? Um, yeah. So I'm, Always very happy to see unique game mechanics in games, and uh, this was uh, this was the most unique game that we've played in 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 many episodes. 
And while there there is some jank, there's certainly some jank, and apparently you can play games like this on other retro systems. Uh, I I think that it, it, it's 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 enough of a fresh it's it's enough of a, of a fresh take on a, on a lot of things, and it, it it's not a like this hide and seek cat cat and mouse thing. You don't really get anywhere else. I, I'll have to agree with Joe and actually give this an essential vote. All right. And with two votes, that automatically puts it on the essential games list. So this is our first one since Life Force to make, <laughs> to make it on the essential games list. I an will unlikely s- source. I know. I will still, uh, I will still vote here uh, just to break up the essential votes and make this one not all essential. Um, <laughs> you know... I think I, I totally understand you guys' reasoning here, and it's cool that you can get a game like this that does things different and work out because we've had games recently like Ghostbusters where it's like, huh, that's not where I expect them to take to take that, and then it sucks, you know. So it's like, yeah. I'm I wish they would try the mail. Here it's like, oh, I could have seen this just being some stupid like you and another spy on like a you know. Uh, a giant grid-like system and you're just hopping around setting up bombs in specific places and, you know, almost like Bomberman almost, like that kind <laughs> of style. I can see them going that approach. Uh, and they didn't do that. So there's a lot here that I like about it. But to be honest, you know, th- this game personally it didn't click a lot for me. And I think in today's terms, it doesn't have enough... It- it's a little archaic uh, to-, to learn the systems and stuff like that. And I won't say that it's not satisfying once you get it down. It's just that in order to have a good time with it, you might be you might be forcing yourself to play this game for a little bit. And, and I felt like I was I was doing this for the show and not out of fun. So I'm giving it a play it, but not a essential vote. And Mike, Copy I would that. I would because I, I I felt that way I first started playing too. I would still recommend you you give it another chance because I feel like it just there's it just takes a long time to really get into it and it just strikes me of something you would like if you if you really got into the weeds of it and i think i definitely will try it again you know hey we're gonna be playing these essential games for a lot longer right true exactly and me and joe are gonna play as soon as we see each other in real life again (laughs) yeah in three years (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i think that's the part i'm also curious of like probably why i'm holding out is just to like to play with other people, that's probably part of the essential experience, you know? Yeah, I think it, it probably is, too. It, it, is it weird for me to say that I almost feel this is this is maybe a little out there, but I feel like this almost scratches the same kind of itch that, like, 007 Golden Eye scratches. There's just something <laughs> about, like, going through these rooms, knowing your opponent is somewhere, trying to, like... And also screen-looking, because we all know you <laughs> exactly, that, yeah. too. I would agree with that if yeah. only for the same reasons that uh, you don't play GoldenEye today. It's that <laughs> the game is now very archaic and not all that fun. Like, you know, you remember it a certain way and not say, like, I we have no say, nostalgia for these games. Right. But I that, should like, say my memory of GoldenEye, granted, yes, the, there are control issues and stuff with GoldenEye, but but the, the just the core of the way I remember playing GoldenEye is just like, the way I would play a more modern. <laughs> sure. It's like, just for me, both this and GoldenEye, like the way that they play out today, uh, you know, leaves like on paper, they're great games. And, and in the past, they were probably great games, but the systems have evolved beyond them. You know, it's like if we never moved up from 
using the four C buttons to control directional movement on on uh, controllers, then GoldenEye would still hold up. But now we have like. Uh, you know, a second analog camera that uh, that acts as the camera. So yeah, you know, no, I, I it, it makes it harder to play it today. Yeah, but I, I do think that the the like things that went that look worse now about Goldeneye feel, would like today feel a lot worse than the things that are bad about Spy versus Spy, where it's like little input things that are weird, but like once you get the hang of it, it doesn't feel like counter to the way you've been playing video games for the past ten years. Or granted, I haven't played Goldeneye in a long time, but I imagine if I picked that up, I'd be like, what the heck are these controls? Like, that's so different. Since Spy vs. Spy is just something that's like, I've never played anything else like it to, like, train me into thinking a new way about playing it like I have with first-person shooters. I, I don't think it's quite as much of a... It doesn't hit. It doesn't hurt as, as much to, like, have to relearn that. All right. I mean, you guys have sold uh, a, probably a good chunk of our audience on retrying this game. I, you know, we, I, I would say that... Spy vs. Spy is not a game you hear often in the conversation. So if uh, if our listeners have any thoughts about Spy vs. Spy, or if you were remembering Spy vs. Spy uh, from your childhood and now you want to go out and play it again, I think this is a good opportunity to revisit that if you didn't in the week leading up to this episode. Of course, you can always let uh, the Nostalgia Cast know how you're feeling about the, the show and all of the games that we play by tweeting at us at NostalgiaCast on Twitter. And next week we have another pretty big game coming up with Super Mario Brothers Two. What is that? Um, is that a sequel to uh, the Super Mario game that we played like a long time ago? It it actually is. It is uh, oh. in the sense of if you try hard enough to imagine it as a sequel <laughs> to that other game. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's it's. I will say that I I'm cheating here because I. I actually owned this game way before this, and and I love this game from Super Mario All-Stars. So, like, this is the cat's pajamas in terms of underrated Super Mario Brothers games, for sure. Not to color anyone's opinion. I can't wait to get colored. (laughs) Okay, that's great, too. Uh, I'm Michael Esposito. You can find me at Esposito Film on Twitter. Please join us again next Friday for Super Mario Brothers 2. Hope you enjoyed the Spy vs. Spy episode and the 131 plus episodes that came before it. Uh, talk to you later. Bye.